I'm Dave Champion. In the wake of the November 3rd election, there are allegations, claims of voter fraud and overall election fraud, including the people who count the votes, that I have never seen. I'm 61 years old as I'm sitting here talking to you, and I have never seen the kinds of claims or the volume of claims that these things have been occurring. The lion's share of these claims, of course, being made by, oh, those who have a vested interest in making them or those who get excited when they see them or hear them or read them and want to spread them around, which is all well and good, I suppose, except the question is, are these claims factual? I want to tackle this question from three different angles today. Number one, context. I think some context is missing. Number two, I want to share with you some of the remarks made by the gentleman who's in charge of vote tallying, vote counting in Philadelphia. And lastly, I want to talk about a court case that's ongoing in Arizona. Voter fraud, election fraud. Does it happen? <laughs> well, sure. Uh, it, it happens in virtually every single election. And of course, when we're having a national election where hundreds of millions of people come out to vote, there's going to be a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of criminal conduct, because that's what it is, criminal conduct by people who are voting, and there's going to, or <laughs> voting on behalf of somebody else perhaps, or there's going to be a slight degree of criminal conduct by people who are counting the ballots. As long as there have been elections, those things have been going on. So it's really weird that suddenly in 2020, the accusations have exploded. I started with the premise that yes, there is always some small degree of criminal conduct involving elections. Always has been, and moving forward, always will be. But this is where the context thing comes in. Let's say in a county, you, of course, you've got candidate A, candidate B. I don't want to use any names from this election because that just inflames people because their passions control them, not their brains. Okay. So you've got candidate A and candidate B. So let's say candidate B, when the county is done counting the votes, the candidate B is leading by 19,000 votes. And poll workers and election counters have turned over a small amount of suspected cases of illegal conduct to local law enforcement. And local law enforcement, working with local prosecutors, working with the election officials, have determined that these criminal acts resulted in 67 votes, 6-7, six, 67 votes being attributed wrongly from one candidate to the other. But the candidate that won won by 19,000 votes. <laughs> so if you've got 66, 67, 102, 104 votes affected, does it impact the outcome of the election? Does it impact the outcome of the election? And in the overwhelming majority of the counties where the voting is taking place, the little amount of criminal conduct is not affecting the outcome of the election. For the criminal conduct to impact the outcome of the election would require massive voter fraud. And that is what 
zero evidence exists to support. Earlier today, I was watching an official, the official who's in charge of vote counting in Philadelphia, talk with the press about what's been going on in Philadelphia. He said they had come across just a couple of cases that might be some sort of voter fraud, and he turned that over to law enforcement. He said, but other than that, there's zero evidence of voter fraud or ballot counting fraud in Philadelphia. Apparently, there was something going around on social media in the Philadelphia area um, that had itemized all of these people by name who were dead had voted, of course, for Joe Biden, right? So this gentleman said that his staff took their time away from what they're actually there to do, which is to count the votes which appear on ballots which people are, are legally entitled to cast and make sure that ballots that people are not legally entitled to cast get rejected. He said, that's what we're here to do. But we took our time away from that to go down this list that was going around on social media saying, in Philadelphia, these dead people voted for Joe Biden. He said, we went down the list. We took our time away from what we should be doing to go down this list of social media nonsense. He said, not one, not one of the people on that list circulating on social media, those dead people, had cast a vote in Philadelphia. Not one of them. It, it was totally made up crap. And I can almost imagine right now, some of you who are extremely pro-Trump and have bought into this whole massive voter fraud thing, you're probably screaming at your computer or screaming at your phone right now, but you can't trust that Democrat who's in charge of vote counting in Philadelphia. Yeah, okay, except he's a Republican. The Trump campaign, the Republican National Committee, and the Republican Party of Arizona have sued the Arizona Secretary of State and various officials in the county of Maricopa, which is where Phoenix is, claiming that irregularities resulted in thousands of ballots being miscounted, something called tabulation overvote, which I'm not going to get into here. And while the plaintiffs have made that allegation, the defendants, especially the Maricopa County officials, there's the one, they are the ones that are hands-on with the ballot counting, have said it could not possibly be thousands and thousands of ballots because the tabulation overwrite process is computer controlled. And if there is, if the computer perceives an overwrite, it kicks it out to have it manually inspected by one of the employees. They said the number of ballots that were kicked out potentially due to, an, by the computer, potentially due to an overwrite. I say potentially because the computer is not the final say. The person who reviews the ballot has the final say. There were potential overwrite ballots that got kicked out to be inspected by live people, 180. Making this even more odd <laughs> is that the plaintiff, let's say candidate Trump, uh, candidate Trump, the plaintiff, has requested that the evidence it's going to submit in the case be sealed. In other words, the press, you and I, we can't see the evidence they're submitting. Now, what makes that unusual is that is often done, by the way, in election cases, sealing the evidence so the public can't see it. 
But what makes it odd in this case is it's being done by the candidate plaintiff. Normally, this is that request comes from the county defendant who's trying to protect voter identification, things like names and social security numbers that if they have to bring evidence into court, they want to protect that. So it's the county, it's the election officials that are requesting that the evidence be sealed to protect information that's not disclosable under law. It's unheard of for the plaintiff to request that the evidence be sealed. The explanation for this weird approach by the plaintiff is that they have voluminous amounts of declarations of wrongdoing that they're going to bring into the courtroom, and that th this information that's going to be in these declarations contains voter names and voter social security numbers and so forth. So where normally that information is coming in from the county, now candidate Trump, the plaintiff is claiming there's, they want to protect voter information. However, there's a problem with this, and that is that the plaintiff set up a website and said, if you believe there's been any sort of voter irregularity, voter fraud, vote counting fraud, whatever, go ahead and go to this website and make a statement. Okay, so that's, <laughs> that's not how investigations are handled. That's not how evidence is accumulated. Uh, the reason that law enforcement almost never, ever, 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 ever goes out to the public and says, we'd like you, if you have any evidence concerning this crime, please let us know. The reason that that probably is not done once in 250,000 cases is because the, the manpower it takes to sort through the nonsense that they get they have to bring people in normally. It's a joint task force. They have people from other agencies, maybe federal agencies. They have to pull people from other routine duties because they have to go check out all these claims of which the vast majority of them are utter nonsense. Those are cases where the people who are making these ridiculous claims aren't all fired up and passionate like they are about this past election, right? So you can imagine when the plaintiff, candidate Trump, says, hey man, if you think there's been voter fraud, go to this website, man, and explain why. Wow, with the passions in this, you can imagine, right? <laughs> so the fact that the plaintiff's attorney says, you know, we have voluminous declarations, I think it's gonna be interesting to see how the judge deals with the declarations. Because I imagine it's going to be something like, Judge, you know, here's 437 declarations and maybe two or three of them actually offer sub something of substance. I told you it's very unusual for the plaintiff candidate to want to seal the evidence. Normally it's the county that wants to seal the evidence for the reasons I already described. Now in this case, the county has taken a completely 180 different opposing view. The county has objected to sealing the plaintiff's evidence and said, no, we don't want any of the evidence sealed. We want the media, we want the public to be able to see every single shred of evidence that comes into this courtroom. And if we have to bring evidence in and rebuttal, we will take the time and effort to redact anything we need to redact. So, why would the county take such a different perspective from what counties ordinarily do? To understand why the county's taken this different approach, let me share with you the words of Maricopa County Attorney Thomas Liddy. This case goes to the heart of election 
integrity and alleges widespread systemic failure by the Maricopa County defendants, their employees, and their processes. And it is not just that they allege these baseless claims. It is the manner in which they alleged it so widely spread and volitionally to the press, on the internet, and on plaintiffs' fundraising letters. Because of that, it is not in the interest of justice to do this in secret. The public has a right to know how flimsy plaintiff's evidence actually is. Remember, in civil actions, each side has to show their hand. It's not like television, right? Where suddenly in the middle of a case, your honor, boom, surprise witness, or boom, surprise evidence. Yeah, it doesn't happen that way in real life. In a civil suit, you have to disclose to the opposition the evidence that you have well before you step into the courtroom. So the point is, the attorney for Maricopa County, Thomas Liddy, he's already looked at plaintiff's evidence. And what he's saying is, if we do this in secret, there will always be questions about, was the system really non-credible? Is the election process really, truly, unreliable. Should we be sowing confusion and distrust and discord about our elections? And his answer is, no, we should not be. And therefore, his position is, I've looked at plaintiff's evidence, and it's nonsensical. It's trivial. It's minuscule. It is non-persuasive. It is non-compelling. So the only way to ensure that the public understands that there is integrity in the election process is to let the public look at this and let them see how trivial and minuscule and non-compelling uh, and non-persuasive the evidence really is. And I totally agree with Attorney Liddy. I'm a huge advocate of transparency. So while I understand why a county would normally ask to seal the evidence, I'm super, super glad that Attorney Liddy has petitioned the court not to allow that in this case. And I'm going to tell you the judge has already agreed. The judge has already said, no, there will be no secret evidence in this case. I'm bringing this case up because we have the secrecy issue that just hit. And we just, as of yesterday, have the judge's opinion. However, this is going to be the case all over the United States. Which brings me back to the context issue. Can the plaintiff, campaign candidate Trump, can he bring in an instance of voter fraud? Yeah, almost certainly, no doubt. Can he bring up an instance of where somebody counting the ballot did something illegal? Yeah, I, I imagine someplace across the country he can do that. But again, that example, if a candidate won by 19,000 votes, and these couple of little issues produced a change in the, the actual vote of 11 people or 111 people or 127 people, it's not going to affect the election because the guy who won, won by 19,000 votes in that county. That's the difference between little incidental incidences of criminal conduct, which have always existed and will always exist, versus or in comparison to massive vote fraud, for which, again, and I know people are going to get angry, I don't know what to tell you, you need to get connected to reality, there is zero evidence 
of massive vote fraud, the kind that would turn an election from one candidate to the other. Of that kind of vote fraud, there is zero evidence. One aspect of this I find fascinating is that, let's go back to 2016 when Donald Trump won the election. If Hillary's people had filed lawsuits, as we're seeing candidate Trump do now, and I don't want to call it level of evidence, the insufficiency of evidence in Hillary Clinton lawsuits was the same as the insufficiency of evidence we're seeing in Donald Trump's lawsuits. Would any of the Trump supporters who are now asserting that these uh, lawsuits by Donald Trump are somehow meaningful, that there was massive vote fraud, would they have given credibility to Hillary Clinton's lawsuits containing the same or similar insufficiency of evidence?